Welcome to the Revelation Project Podcast. I'm Monica Rogers, and this podcast is intended to disrupt the trance of unworthiness and to guide women to remember and reveal the truth of who we are. We say that life is a revelation project, and what gets revealed gets healed. Welcome to another edition of the Revelation Project Podcast. Today, I am so pleased to introduce you to Dr. Catherine Blackledge. She's an internationally acclaimed author of the best-selling book, Raising the Skirt, The Unsung Power of the Vagina, which celebrates the beauty and power of the vagina and womanhood and reveals how the true extent of vaginal and female power has been forgotten, ignored, and misrepresented. Raising the Skirt was originally published in 2003 as the story of V and has sold over 100,000 copies in 13 countries. Women describe it as their Bible and say it has saved their lives. Dr. Blackledge is also the creator of the Say Veranda campaign to bring back the word veranda. Is that, am I saying that right? You are, yeah. (laughs) Yay, okay. An old term for female genitalia, meaning the parts inspiring awe, respect, or reverence. She believes having a positive, respectful word for the vagina, which girls and women feel comfortable and confident using, is a vital first step to female empowerment and being proud of what we have between our legs. Hi, Catherine. Hi, Monica. Lovely to to meet you this way. I know it is. I have to tell you, I loved reading this book for so many reasons. Mostly what was coming up as I was reading the book was how much I could relate to so many of the discoveries that you were embarking on as a researcher for kind of like, why? Why is there so much stigma? Why are girls raised the way that we're raised around, you know, our anatomy? Why, right, all of the whys. And then, of course, you were really diving in not only to, to help kind of dispel and really reveal so much of the taboo relationship we have to the vagina. But also, when I got further into the book, what was so powerful, and I'm sure this is why so many women say it's their Bible, is that the history, when you really go back and you look through the ages of how the vagina has been honored, revered, celebrated throughout many, many cultures, we start to understand that again, we're really, and I use this term like victims of like this overarching story that has women feeling really lonely, suppressed sometimes and disconnected from the power of their own sex and sexuality. Yeah, absolutely. We, at the moment, the world we live in, the great story that is told all the time is the great white male story, the great white male narrative. And yes, we we can struggle at times to have our stories heard above this, this dominant one in, in our society, in our patriarchal society. 
But there is so much more to being a woman. There's so much more to having vagina um, than, than meets the eye, literally. And a key revelation for me when I was writing the book was that there was so much more out there. I started the book, I was working as a science journalist, and I would say I was purely a science journalist. And, and I thought I was going to be writing a book about the science of the vagina. I'd read a report about the clitoris being tens of times larger than previously realised. And that was in part what triggered me, set me off down the route. But when I came to do the research, it was this incredible whole new world opened up in front of me. Yes, I discovered more about the clitoris. I, you know, I discovered that it, it wasn't a new discovery, this discovery that uh, it was bigger than previously recognized because that was known about in the in the 17th century. And um, that was information that was known about, but had just been forgotten over the years. And, you know, and I discovered so many wonderful scientific facts like Men have a clitoris as well. It's exactly the same shape. It's what causes their penis to become erect. Our clitoris is fully erectile as well. But as well as uh, discovering all these scientific facts, which I think are very important for women to know to, so that they appreciate just how powerful their genitalia are, what was particularly beautiful for me was that I discovered all these wonderful myths and stories from different cultures and artwork from previous centuries that that had been lost. And and that's why when this new edition of my book has come out, and it's it's wonderful that you know 17 years after it was first published, it's it's been brought back out again. And in, in actual fact this month it's coming out in Spain and once more. But I called it Raising the Skirt because these are the incredible revelatory stories and myths that have been passed down through the centuries. And actually, this gesture of literally lifting the skirt to reveal the vagina is, I think, so important to female history. It's a gesture of power. It's a gesture of pride. And it's been used individually and collectively by women for millennia. And they're doing it to promote fertility of the land and of people. And they're doing it to protect their family, their community, their way of life. And it's, it's just absolutely astounding. You find it in so many different cultures, mythologies, Egyptian, Greek, Irish, and beautiful artwork across the centuries depicting this. And I it was quite sad for me when I realised that so few people knew about these raising the skirt stories because it's such an important part of female history. I mean, I, I would love it if we lived in a world where everybody told their daughter the raising the skirt stories, you know, to show them this is how powerful your vagina is. You know, did you know uh, that you know people raise their skirt to scare bears away, to scare the devil away, to make crops grow? Um, and, it, and in fact, I do tell my daughter these stories so that she has a, an idea of just how amazing it is to be female. I don't know if you were aware of this because, of course, of you being in the UK. But recently, I saw a really provocative, powerful picture of this woman sitting uh -huh. in Portland, Oregon, yeah. naked with her legs yes. spread. Right? Did you see it? Facing yeah, Athena. Yes. 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 Facing the the tanks and the you know yeah. the being fired on. Exactly. Yeah. She's. She walked her there completely naked and then sat down with her legs spread, revealing her 
Oxford. And when I saw that picture, I just thought, oh, this is such a wonderful modern day um, reenacting of raising the skirt. And, it, and in fact, there are a number of women who have started doing this. One of them is an artist who was inspired by my book, and she's led raising the skirt demonstrations in Poland, where they were protesting against very strict abortion laws there. We had the Women's March in Los Angeles. They carried a banner of a woman raising her skirt, which is, uh, again, inspired by my book. And you had the, the marches where they wore the pink pussy hats. And I think that that is a beautiful modern day representation of raising the skirt. And yes, naked Athena, who I believe is called Jen. She hasn't been identified further than that, but she did talk about it um, just after the event. So yeah, I just say to her, I applaud her completely. Oh my God, you know, yes. She totally channeled the raising the skirt spirit completely. Yeah, she really did. I don't think most of us over here knew what the heck to make of it. But of course, I have done the work of Mama Gina. I'm sure that you're familiar with her work. Yes. And then, of yeah. course, Megan Jo Wilson. There are many women that I've now met who are doing versions of this work and, of course, alchemizing uh -huh. their own specialty and teaching women really about this herstory yes. that, that yeah. really exists and we have access to. And I have to raise my hand here and say that I think it was maybe four years ago that I had someone who had done some of my workshops call me and say, Oh, Monica, you have to check out Mama Gina, you know, you just, ha you know, and, sh and she said, I said, well, you know, what's her deal? And she said, well, she wrote a book called Pussy, mm -hmm. a reclamation. And I said, as long as I don't have to look at it, meaning my vagina. Yeah. Like, yeah. I'm, ha I'm happy to read it. And she kind of laughed. But what was really true for me is that that kind of humor is what we're used to this kind yeah. of self deprecating way of dealing with our own discomfort and our own disgust or our own shame because of yeah. oftentimes how we've been raised over here. And I'm, I say over here, and I'm sure it's the world over. Yes. But, but my question to you is in all of your research, was there a specific area of the world where you felt it was the vagina and like the celebrating and the honoring of women in this regard was kind of still very taboo, very kind of suppressed? Where it is still suppressed. I, I, sadly, I think there are, there are too many countries where we don't honor the vagina. I mean, when I was researching the book, I was looking for a, a word which was positive about female genitalia. And words can be very scientific, but also be laden with centuries of shame about the vagina. A lot of the words like pudendum um, all come from the verb pudere, to be ashamed. And in uh, Germany, you still have sham and sham lip. And sham lip is shame lips, and that means labia. So, you know, there's, there's so much negativity associated with those words. The one positive word that I did discover for female genitalia was a, a very old word, verenda, as you, you mentioned in the intro. And that means the parts inspiring awe or respect. And, and that tells us that at some point in history, that was the way female genitalia were viewed. And in actual fact, that, that word comes from a Greek word, ideon. But apart from that, in the, in the West, I couldn't find any positive words. But if you go to the East, to Asia, to, to India. China and yes, Japan and yes. India, yes, you have Yoni. You know, in Japan, they would say the heavenly gate, place full of jewels, uh, lots of beautiful words, cinnabar, crucible for the uterus, you know, really poetic, beautiful words. And, and definitely more of a history of revering the vagina and female genitalia there. But in, in terms of 
areas that that uh, countries that are very negative about females tend to be very negative about female genitalia. One follows the other. We tend to get those things tied together. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and I actually talk in uh, the new edition of my book about, I think there is a moment that every person born with a vagina shares. And it's a, a revelation moment. And it's a really key one, I think, in, in a girl's life. But it's the point at which she realizes that she is treated differently to another group of people and that other group of people are the people with a penis. That's right. And I think, uh, and I'm actually getting goosebumps as I'm saying it because it's such a potent moment and I think it happens really early in a girl's life. I remember um, mine. Like I, I actually wrote, yeah. wrote about it. Yeah, I distinctly oh. remember when that was for me. And I think you're right. I, I think if we were all to remember, because the more I've worked with women, the more initially they kind of are not familiar with that moment that they knew. Yeah. yeah. But the more they kind of unpack and reveal, the more they're kind of like, oh, now I do remember. Yeah. 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 And, and it's so shocking. It, it is almost like your, your world just disintegrates because then you have to process, well, why am I treated as of less value? as if I am worth less than this other person. And I grew up in a family where I have two brothers and two sisters. So my that revelation moment came, you know, very young primary school age, uh, when I realized that my two brothers, both younger than me, were treated completely differently to myself and my sisters. And I I could not get my head around it. It really hurt. Mm-hmm. I think that when you are small and when there's nobody else to tell you anything different, you look at what the differences are, vagina, penis, and you put all that pain and hurt and anger on your vagina. And mm-hmm. um, I think it has to take that for many, many years unless you get the wonderful chance to deal with all that pain and hurt and anger. And I think for, for lots of us women, we don't ever. So, Well, Catherine, uh, one of the things that you really so eloquently said in the book was it's kind of like the hurt of omission because what's true for me and so many girls who grew up like me, let's say in a religious environment, yeah. is that there is this shame and there's this way that, you know, at least in in the religion that I was raised in, that it was really clear that that, that was sinful, dirty. Yeah. That there was this way that you were either a virgin or a whore and nothing in yeah. between. And that the messaging, when I think about the generational way that women who are, you know, come through the patriarchy are mm-hmm. conditioned to be about it is, and I'll just say, f- you know, from my own experience was it wasn't talked about. It certainly wasn't something that, you know, we had an anatomical discussion about. Mm. And there was no, no direction, no modeling. If, if anything, it was this, we don't talk about it. Yeah. We don't talk about it. We don't look at it. We don't touch it. We just Mm. don't. And so there's this way that here I was in my 40s married and it wasn't literally, I would, and I say this freely, I say in the last really five years that I, and, and doing some of this work, that I really, really got to free of the shame yeah. that, that is so debilitating. I mean, when mm-hmm. I sit in circles sometimes and I hear how many women 
continue to feel so much anguish and so much disconnect from their own pleasure, Mm -hmm. from their own sensuality, from their own ability to talk about what is happening for them and their body. It's like, wow, it's, it's tragic. Yeah, yeah, it really is. I mean, I think something that's often talked about now is, is this orgasm gap, the, the orgasms oh, that yeah. women don't have. And yet, you know, when you look at how orgasmic women can be, we have the capacity to be far, far more orgasmic than men. And you know, these that they did, one woman, she managed to have 134 orgasms in an hour. The most a male has ever managed is, um, I, I think it's 17. We're still pretty good for a male, but we are far, far um, more capable of orgasm men are. And it is, I believe, this lack of connection with our bodies, um, lack of, of feeling confident in who we are as women, as females, um, this disconnect. And as you said about what we are not told when we're growing up, I mean, I don't remember anybody telling me I had a clitoris. And I certainly just perceived of it as this button on uh, the, right. the tip of your um, vulva. I certainly didn't perceive of it as this beautiful wishbone structure, you know, going all the way back into my body. And even today, you, you see sex education books for children, and they still describe the clitoris just as this button or pee. And I think that it's, it's so wrong. You know, we are given such a truncated view of ourselves. And I, I don't think we do now tell children enough about their bodies and also about how important sexual pleasure is, about masturbation. I think we still have, as a society, Western society, have far too many hang-ups about that. But I don't think that as an adult, you ever can fully begin to love your body and appreciate it in its all its orgasmic beauty unless you have this education. But the education starts with parents, with parents, you know, telling their children how powerful it is to have a vagina, you know, telling their children. I'd say to parents, you know, you talk about the words to use. Uh, Yes, you know, I suggest using Verenda and I have campaigns, say Verenda, getting people to sign the petition for that. But, you know, it's about having a conversation with your children saying there are all these different words for female genitalia, which would you prefer to use? Mm -hmm. You know, and, Mm -hmm. you know, Verenda has this positive meaning to it. Vulva means this, vagina means this, uh, you know, to have those conversations and just to to make it as as open as possible, I think. Um, no pun intended. Today, yes. Well, yeah. <laughs> they, well, you know, they have a chance, you know, they have a right, chance. Right. Yeah. Well, I was going to say too that, you know, you also make this distinction that I love around, let's actually reclaim words like that actually mm. describe the power that we embody. So a couple of yeah. things here. One is, you know, you had really talked about some of the other words, which I found hysterical, because of course, I only know the ones in in my country. Uh huh. Yeah. But like, I was just dying about the flower fairy or the bits or the front bottom. Yes. Um, oh, it's just that's like my most, that's my most hated the front bottom. It's like that means completely getting rid of the vagina or anything that's special about being female, isn't it? It's just oh my so god, appalling. it's so yeah. appalling! It's so appalling. And then you know, I was I was also you know I often talk about this fact that I feel like. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm sure kind of like I'm about to go into some like other dimension here, but my point being that we're often in this separation conversation. Like we don't even recognize it, binary separated, like mm-hmm. me, you, but there's this idea too that 
as we start holistically looking and understanding that everything is interconnected. And I often mm-hmm. talk about this idea of these sexed pairs. And even as a human, I'm both human and divine, that there's this huh. way that yes, there's my human body, but there's also this way that I can have an incredible spiritual experience through meditation, you can have the same through orgasm and sex. Uh-huh. And then what you start to recognize is that those practices, I mean, wouldn't it be great if we had sex as a practice like meditation? Uh-huh. I mean, some yeah. people do, I know, but it's this idea of like, then then the cascade of actually hormones, all of the good things that actually mm-hmm. bring us insight and our life-giving and our bathing our senses in, you know, bliss and relaxation and feelings of yeah. connectedness. And it's, well, no friggin' wonder we continue to perpetuate this separation. <laughs> you know, it's like, duh. Yeah, yeah. We, I think, you know, right from the start, we want to separate ourselves from our vaginas because they apparently are the source of us being undervalued in the world. So somehow we have to get past that. We have to get past that and recognize just how beautiful and powerful we are. I, you know, I, I hope one way of doing that is recognizing how beautiful and powerful the vagina is. And I know certainly that writing the book, you know, I've had so many women tell me it's changed their life. But for me, it actually changed my life writing the book. As I started writing the book, my my life actually fell apart in terms of I'd lost my job, my relationship ended, and I was living with the partner of the time. So suddenly I ended up without a home as well. And but I was writing the book. I had the books. So that, that kept me afloat. But I also, um, when my book first came out, set in 2003, lots of people asked me why I'd written the book and, you know, what triggered it. And yes, there are always triggers in life. I'd, I'd seen I'd seen a very early performance of um, Eve Ensler's uh, Vagina Monologues, which was just so, so powerful. Me too. I, um, I, I left the theatre that night. I just wanted to howl really mm-hmm. howl and I didn't know why couldn't articulate it uh, but it's only it was only after my book had come out years after my book had come out that I realized that for me writing the book was an exploration of the fact that I am infertile and I actually found out I was infertile just days before my 20th birthday the 21st birthday which was a terrible thing. It's a terrible thing to find out at any time in your life. But literally at that point, as you're just about to begin your adult life, it's devastating. It floors you. But I just packed that awful, terrible thing away deep inside me and didn't tell anybody. I told my mum. Mm-hmm. the only person I told. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm, so, I'm so glad you could tell your mum, like, wow, yeah. because that would not have happened in my world, you know? Well, do you know what? The only reason why I told my mum was because the phone call came through to tell me this. It was just a phone call. And I put the phone down and was crying. And she came in and found me crying and said, why are you crying? So I told her. But actually, she she didn't really, it was too much for her to handle. And she never spoke to me again about it. Okay, well, there there we go, right? A couple decades. Okay, that sounds more, that sounds more like my experience. It's like, we're just going to put that right under the rug, the heaviest rug we can find. Yeah, 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 but I'm really hearing that, like, for you, that was, 
there was just that howl deep inside of you, that anguish. And I Mm -hmm. loved how you described it in the book. And by the way, I share that same experience. It so happens that Uh I caught it. Yeah. But again, when we talk about the unintended impact of young Mm -hmm. girls not being able to have this language or understand, what we're talking about are the behaviors that are consistent with perpetuating the ignorance that creates these situations. And they're situations that perpetuate sexual diseases. Yeah. They are situations that perpetuate unwanted pregnancies. Yeah. They're situations like I could go on and on and on. It actually makes me crazy. Yeah, well, it is exactly this. I am infertile because I contracted chlamydia at some point between first having sex and just before uh, I was 21. And if I had been confident enough in me being female, in if I'd looked after my sexuality enough, I would have said no to that person. You have to wear a condom. But I didn't. And I caught chlamydia and my fallopian tubes are scarred as a result, too scarred to to have children naturally. And that happens to too many women. It happens to so many. And that's just it is, again, that's something we don't talk about. We don't talk about it. And it's a very kind of taboo subject. We make it taboo. And therefore, we become isolated in our shame. And I love, of course, Brene Brown's work, because really, it's this idea of shame cannot exist in 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 intimacy, in connection, in vulnerability. Yeah. And it's this idea of being able for having allowing women to really start to reveal their stories, because then they no longer have this grip on us of making us feel small and shameful and dirty and alone in it. Yeah. You know, because again, I'm sure that you've learned since you started sharing your story, how many women can relate to that. And there's this way that I don't even think because our mothers didn't ever talk about sex, why would they talk about Mm -hmm. sexually transmitted diseases? Yeah. And it certainly wasn't at a time for me, at least in the early 1980s, where people were really talking about it or handing out condoms or what it definitely wasn't there yet in terms of, you know, really being an active campaign of awareness for safe sex. It was it was more about, I think, even AIDS, but that was because it was killing you. And yet here Mm -hmm. was, you know, there have been sexually transmitted diseases since the beginning of time. So, you know, here we are. And what's true for you is that, yes, it created a situation of infertility. And I think that so many women can either relate to that or the fact that they're still carrying. I know so many women that are still suffering feelings of guilt and remorse from even where they couldn't find their voice in a sexual situation. Yeah. I think we yeah, saw, we absolutely. heard that in the Me Too movement. Yeah. We were shocked that all these women were just rising up to tell their stories and that everyone had one. Yeah, it, it's completely that. And, and I think it's so important to give girls that feeling of being confident and proud, feeling powerful to be female, valuing what they have. And I think another thing that happens is that we are, It's this is all part of the great white male no- narrative that we have. I, I talk about it in my book is that the whole story, say, for example, of how egg meets sperm is has always been sold as one where that valiant sperm swims completely under its own steam to the egg, then penetrates the egg. And it's just the glorious 
male journey and females are just active. Uh, I'm I'm making a gagging just (laughs) gesture in my right now. I'm just so over this. Yes, go ahead. Yes. And and actually, as I show in my book and what a a whole uh, new area of research, it's opened up in the last 30 years, 40 years, but not many people know about it yet, is about the active female role in the whole story of egg meeting sperm. And it is that the female actually controls the vast majority of all those processes. Um, The sperm would never, ever, ever get to the egg if it wasn't for the female's incredible um, internal genital architecture, pulling the sperm along, using their muscles, their amazing fluids. And then at the last moment, it's that massive egg. The egg is 80,000 times bigger than the sperm. not a penetration story. It's more a story of this massive egg engulfing the sperm. And, and I'd love to see that story told. As even part of that, right. Like even that is such a more powerful, I'm like, yes, story than the one we've been told. And again, like, I mean, please, I'll just roll my eyes right off my face. <laughs> but you know, the fact of the matter is that it subconsciously women believe that for heaven's sakes that you know we were born from men for heaven's sakes i mean talk about yeah talk about a completely just talk about having just the whole world upended and this in this narrative where like yeah. really like we have this powerful j- vagina but we came from the rib of adam give me Ooh, yeah. a break like men birthed the world oh help me understand how this happened yes but but it's like this is what we grow up believing it's such yeah. a, a trance of unworthiness yes absolutely and yet you know if you go back and look at other deities you find so many wonderful creation goddesses, you know, where it's the female who birthed the world. And then you you, you see the wonderful Venus um, images that I talk about in my book, you know, whether it's the Venus of LaSalle or the Venus of Willendorf, these beautiful sculptures um, created, you know, tens of thousands of years ago. And for a period of about 40,000 years, all you find are these wonderful sculptures of, of women, voluptuous, fertile women. There's only a a handful, literally a handful of male statues and all the rest of these wonderful female goddess figures. And that just shows you how women used to be perceived. You know, it was believed that we were the ones that brought all new life into the world completely by ourselves. Men weren't perceived as having any role. And now, you know, what a turnaround it's been. But, you know, I, oh, I'm just pushing and pushing with my book and and I'm, I'm writing another book at the moment, which I hope will continue this story to turn this story around so that you know girls and, and women we get the true story not this very very wildly inaccurate version that we've been sold for the last uh, couple of millennia the last couple of millennia is right i mean it really it's really fascinating when you start to unpack it how absurd you get how absurd it all is but yeah there's this way that it just it's like at a cellular level we've been taught to believe it yeah i are you allowed to tell us this the title of this new book uh, I'm, I no, I'm not going to not as, yet. as yet. Okay, it's okay. still very much under wraps. But as soon as soon as I have it, I'll come and. Uh, well, I know what the title is, but as soon as I can talk about it, I'll okay, come on okay. and let you know. I, I wanted to say as well that you know things are changing in in how women are viewed in the world and and what we are doing in the world today. We had the wonderful announcement 
two female scientists uh, got sharing. the Nobel Prize for chemistry. And it's like, yay! I know. And the love that they're sharing it. Yes. Yeah. And, and you know, obviously, uh, women have won the Nobel Prize for chemistry before, but it's never been two women. And you no, know, it's, it's a wonderful moment. And I just think of all those girls that are going to be inspired because you do have to see it in order to think I can be it. You really do. So, you do. You know, things are changing, obviously, not as quickly as I'd like them to be, but, you know, things are changing. I think so too, Catherine. And I often, I often think that, you know, what's happening now is very much in service to the divine feminine, meaning Mm -hmm. when I think about, you know, the energy of what's been wanting to happen and this kind of crumbling of the patriarchy and all of the isms that are created under the patriarchy. And when I talk about the patriarchy, I get that the patriarchy isn't, it it doesn't serve men either. And it's not about men. It's about a system that's been built on greed and oppression Mm -hmm. and separation uh, and control. And, you know, and that men are just as much victims in it. Now, yeah, very much so. And I just really feel that how everything has been falling apart and really just as you are just talking about these emerging models of strong female role models and men coming in as allies to really support and celebrate and, and model what honoring and celebrating and working with women looks like. Mm-hmm. Like we're starting to really, I think, sit back on our haunches and really, wow, okay, this is this is possible. And I even think about just metaphorically what's been going on with COVID. And really, there's a lot of feminine energy, that chaos, that creation, that darkness, that void where we think of the womb, you know, and, and I love the expression, many of us think we're in the tomb. And mm-hmm. I forget who said it, but it's more a matter of, I think we're in the womb. Yeah. Back in the womb of creation and really, yeah. really kind of enduring this pregnancy, if you will. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I, I think what's interesting about this time of COVID, I mean, it's obviously, you know, a terrible time and so, so many people have lost their lives. But what it does show is something that I think challenges that great white male narrative because what COVID clearly shows is that men are more vulnerable than women. And it's not something that the media really um, uh, flag up too much, Mm -hmm. but it is a fact that men are more vulnerable to COVID. Women have that strength. You know, we aren't as affected. I know there's a wonderful book and I've forgotten his surname, but it's about a man called Sharon, which looks at how women genetically are the superior sex because um, we have two X chromosomes. So, and uh, on those X chromosomes are a lot of the genes that code for immunity. So, that they think is in part why we have this superior strength. But I think more and more of those stories will come out about our inherent strength, um, and it gives a different picture, which is is what we need. We need so many different stories. You know, yes, my book tells those different stories, but we need lots other of other stories out there so that girls and women can see those those stories and and respond and you know be who they're meant to be, not the patriarchal 
squashed version of themselves, as Mm -hmm. sadly often can be the case. Just in our remaining, you know, you you talk to the stories and yes, I mean, it's that's the other thing. Our kind of like ability to really share these stories with each other is so important because that's how I'm even noting, you know, a, a lot of my work is also in content development in general. And it's just so obvious to me that everything is about storytelling, everything. Mm. And when we're not empowered with these stories, and we don't know these stories, we're certainly not telling them, we're not passing them down. Mm. And I really, I would love to see more of a more of an auditory or history of of being able to share some of these stories. And so I don't know if I'm putting you on the spot here, but I'd love it if you like, I know that there's a few stories that are just super interesting in your book. And I wondered if maybe you could choose one and tell us. Ah, one of the raising the skirt stories. Sure. Yeah. I could tell you the story from Japanese mythology, and it's about Amaterasu, and I don't know how to pronounce that in the proper Japanese pronunciation, so apologies if that's incorrect. But Amaterasu, she is the Shinto goddess of the sun, the heavens, and the universe, and she's furious at her brother um, Susawano's actions, and, and her brother, he's wrecked her heavenly fields, he's actually, he's pooed in her palace, and... Just like a brother. Just like a brother. And while he's in the sacred weaving hall, he takes a a spindle and he throws it at Amaterasu and it strikes her vagina and it pierces her vagina. So in despair and outraged at her brother's actions, Amaterasu, she withdraws from the world and she's the goddess of the sun. So she shuts herself in a cave, but then she withdraws all light from the world and plunges heaven and earth into darkness and this darkness chaos and and infertility and anyway all the shinto deities there's over 800 of them they gather wondering what on earth can they do and they're desperately trying to think of ways to coax her out of the cave um they try everything they can think of but it's no good she will not come out but then a, a lowlier goddess, um, she's called Amano Otsume. She gets a bucket, she turns it over, stands on top of it, and she starts to dance. And as she's dancing, she lifts her skirt and reveals her sacred yoni, her heavenly gait. And all the assembled deities, the pantheon of Japanese deities, they all start clapping and cheering and roaring their approval. And hearing this incredible noise, Amaterasu comes out of the cave to see for herself. And she sees this beautiful yoni in front of her. And she's happy to be back in the world. And light, harmony and fertility are restored to the land. And I think that in that myth, and there are very similar ones in different cultures, that is the story of why we need to honour the feminine, because it is with honouring the feminine that fertility and harmony um, reside in our wonderful world. So we must all honour the feminine. I love that. Thank you for telling that story. Yeah, it's, you know, it's not lost on me, as you know, I've definitely said in other episodes that, you know, that this connection as well to really like the the great mother earth mm-hmm. and and our treatment is such a yeah. um is such an extension of um, our mistreatment or our you know suppression of the feminine and really yes it it just it, it's so astounding to me that our 
that truly everything is interconnected in this way and that in order for balance mm-hmm. and harmony to really be enabled and flourishing between yeah. people and between cycles between you know nature and people is just so so important that we look at that we take a look at how we treat women how that impacts yeah. everything yeah everything yeah. so i i love that and then i was just going to see if there was there was one other thing that i was so curious about in our last mm-hmm. minute so let me let me ask you this yeah so what happened in 1958 there was something in the book and i didn't get a chance to dive more deeply oh uh, um in africa in 1958 yes in 1958 in west cameroon africa 7000 women raised their skirts collectively in in you know it's an incredible display of vaginal power and they did that to protest against government regulations which were actually going to change for the worse the way that the women were farming their land um and you know they were furious about this this would destroy their livelihoods their you know their families livelihoods um so they literally all raised their skirts together and i should say that there's the word for raising the skirt is an sermon it literally means to raise one's skirts so this wonderful display you have an anasoma army here and in actual fact this collective display the women actually won they managed to retain their way of life so their collective act of raising the skirt did protect their land and their fertility so it's a beautiful modern day enacting of it an absolutely fantastic one yeah and and these stories are more common than we know because yes, yes. because you were talking about one that happened in Italy and these yeah. are recent modern day stories and by the way I have a dear friend who asked to be connected with you uh-huh. who is actually doing a circle for women um I don't in oh. and it's around this whole idea yeah and I know that you said your artist friend was also really inspired by this but yes, that's where yeah. again I'm I'm loving the iterative process of having these stories these myths and these events being revealed because it really does then allow like you were saying a woman or a girl child and even men to see to see what is true yeah because it is true and what's possible because as we see through all these stories and all these mythologies, is that this idea of women raising their skirts has changed the weather, you know, yeah. really influenced cycles of nature, warded off evil, stopped wars from happening. In fact, it's interesting. I know I, I won't have any of the facts straight, but I know that, you know, women in certain areas, I think it was in Africa, even had a strike where they refused to have sex with the men until yeah. they stopped having war and they stopped. Yeah. So yeah. there's there's ways, again, that I think in 
the conversation of reclamation, right? I always say, um, I kind of, I, I kind of teach this seven step process and I call it from, from revelation to revolution. But par- uh-huh, yeah. part of that process is the reclamation of the reclaiming yeah. of our power. Yes. And, you know, when we think about the power that we're walking around between our legs every single day, it's just like, wow, it's astounding. And, yeah. and having that be the conversation that we're having and bringing to the world with full permission yes. is just a beautiful idea. And just one last thing, I loved how you were sharing about how you're teaching your young daughter to really be stand in her power. And I've yeah. done the same. I have an 18-year-old oh. girl, and she's a force to be reckoned with. I often tell the story that when the narrative comes up about, oh my God, she's so beautiful, you must stand with a shotgun at the door, I always say, <laughs> you don't have to worry about her, you have to worry about that. Um, yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's an incredible honor to be able to to raise a daughter to be so proud and confident. Um, yeah, it's a wonderful thing to be able to do. It is. And just break that cycle of silence yeah. because it's just so powerful. And and lastly, I just want to congratulate you because it's really quite something that your book is being republished after all this time. I really, you're obviously a visionary. You're somebody that, you know, I, I look at visionaries as people that have a more sensitive antenna to what's needed in the world. And oftentimes it's way before the world is ready to have that conversation. But there's a way that just I love that you're being honored in this way, because I know that you've sold over 100,000 copies, but that book deserves to sell over millions of copies. Oh, thank you. Yeah, well, I would love it if it could help more women. I really would. And, uh, you know, maybe uh, now is the time for it. I know that when it was first came out, you know, nearly 20 years ago, the world was such a different place. Now, you know, we connect on social media and, you know, there's so many women out there who, you know, love images, love stories like this. And you can find those people now. And, and 20 years ago, we weren't talking about it in the same way. In fact, you know, I, I say in the book when I wanted to call my book Vagina 20 years ago, and I wasn't allowed to because in the, in the publishing meeting, you know, they couldn't even say the word. They words, couldn't even so. say the word that was cracking me up yeah, yeah. yeah. it's just yeah. hysterical it's like say it vagina yeah oh my god <laughs> I, I would have loved to be a fly on the wall of course in England too it was probably even more so yes yes absolutely it was it was there were men in the meeting who couldn't say the word of course oh my god um, but we have moved on since then so there's hope <laughs> yes and and so where do you have so we can get it right now on kindle Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And when will it be reissued? When will we be able to have like the actual paperback copies? Um, the paperback copies should be available now on Amazon. Um, Great. And and yeah, you can get it as the actual lovely book format or or on Kindle as well. Okay. Um, and then is and there yeah. a mailing list that you want it or a, a website that you want to share with our, our audience? Yes. Yeah. Um, if you would like to uh, get um, blogs from me and um, more information or if you want to chat to me my website's www.catherineblackledge.com um, and I'm on Instagram on uh, catherine.blackledge or at Blackledge on Twitter so so yeah please do follow me and, and find out more about the vagina and, and my next book which will hopefully be coming soon I cannot wait I really can't and then we'll have to do another one okay because yeah I'm looking forward to it yes absolutely okay 
Okay. Well, I just, again, want to say thank you that we've had a very revealing conversation. And for me, it's yeah. a very healing conversation. Oh. So thank you again for your work in the world. And, and to our listeners, thank you always for your generous listening and more to be revealed. We hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, please visit us at jointherevelation.com and be sure to download our free gift, subscribe to our mailing list, or leave us a review on iTunes. We thank you for your generous listening. And as always, more to be revealed.